the hardest job you've ever had? Uh, being a mother. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that one was coming. Being a husband. Yeah. <laughs> being, the, being the husband of a mother. <laughs> yeah. Being a mother. Well, this is Mother's Day, isn't it? Mother's Day weekend. This is the day we celebrate our moms, right, girls? Right? Yeah. Bella? Yes. This is the day that we, uh, we try to do something special for them. Uh, this is the day that we remember all the hard work, um, all that they do uh, day in and day out. The job of a mother never ends. You never punch out. You're never off the clock, right? It's just constant. And even after your children are grown, you're still a mother, and you still, you still have a job to do, right? Um, uh, I don't know if, I, probably nobody has the courage to mention any other jobs that, you know, that they've done that are hard. Um, there's a lot of them out there, right? And it's, um, I, I think it's not coincidental, but probably providential that, that we're at this point in our study through First Peter, and it happens to coincide with Mother's Day. Um, remember what Peter's been telling his readers? He's been talking to them. Uh, last week we looked and he told them that he wants them to keep their conduct honorable among the Gentiles, among the unbelievers. Keep the, your way of life good. Live a, a right life in front of everybody else so that they will see what you're doing, so that when they speak against you and accuse you of being an evildoer, they'll actually see that you're doing good works, and then that will cause them then to glorify God. On the day, as Peter says, on the day of visitation, on the day when Jesus comes again, in that final restoration, that final new creation, that there, is, there are people, there are unbelievers now glorifying God on that day because they saw God's people, because they saw a community on mission living out what they say they believe. And we saw that, that the first thing that Peter asked them to do was to then be subject to the human authorities, to all of the people who are you know, in government over us, who are in charge, who are ruling be submissive to them. Defer to them. Uh, how, how did, he, how did uh, we put it last week? Um, cooperate with them. Comply with them. Right? And then he just kind of, he keeps on going with this idea of, when he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, now he's starting to get a little more specific. And he starts saying, okay, let's do this. Now, how about you servants? How about you people who are literally household slaves? That word servant is not the typical uh, word that we usually find. Uh, sometimes you'll see this, the word servant and it means a deacon. It means somebody who, who waits on tables, who is meeting people's needs. Sometimes you see that word servant in our English translations and it actually means somebody who is a slave, who is, actually belongs to another person. Maybe a bond servant, maybe they, they chose to be somebody's servant or slave for a, a period of time so they could pay off some debts, or maybe they come from a, a part of society 
that people looked down on, and they didn't have any other choice but to be a slave. But here, Peter's using a, a, actually a very unique word in the New Testament that means a household slave. This is somebody who, is, who belongs to an oikos, an oikos, a family, a household, and he works or she works in that household um, for their master specifically. God, I, the first thing as we're as we're as we're unfolding this whole idea of servants and what, what what he says next to be subject, I want you guys to think about this in relation to um, our work. I want you to think about how we do our work that we do. And the title really of this message is "Do the Right Thing." Do the right thing. God wants His people to do the right thing in the way they live among other people. And, and so I'm going to show you three things I believe that are going to help us to live the way Peter told us to live, with that kind of conduct that is honorable. And so the first one I want to show you is that God's people do the right thing by honoring our bosses, the people we work for. We, I, we looked at, uh, I, told, I just told, was telling you, these servants are these household slaves. And then when he says to be subject, it, it, it recalls that same idea that we talked about last week, which is to, to defer to or to comply with or cooperate with the people that are in charge. And he's saying now, so you folks who are working for other people, because that's really the context. I mean, that's really how we can take what he was saying to these household servants and apply it to us who are working for somebody else. We're all working for somebody. We all have a boss somewhere along the way. And so we're all working for somebody. So we will take this and we'll go, well, how am I going to defer to the person I'm working for? How am I going to comply? How am I going to cooperate? And, and the way he writes it, it's completely related to the command in verse 13. The same word used in a slightly different way. Um, Timothy uh, received a, a letter from Paul, um, the first letter that Paul wrote to him. And uh, I just wanted to reference this for you guys. 1 Timothy 6.1, uh, a related, a related uh, idea here. Paul said to Timothy, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants or slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. The same, the same basic idea is right here in this passage in which he's saying, Look, um, we want you to live in such a way, folks, that when people see you, they honor God. So that... You're not working in such a way that people are reviling you. And they're reviling the name of Jesus. Because we go along and we live our lives and we say, well, we believe in Jesus. We're Christians. We go to church. We do all of this. And then they look at the way we work and then they say, really? I don't think I, I, don't think I want anything to do with that religion. I don't think I want, I don't want to do, have anything to do with the church. Paul, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, Timothy, you need, to, you need to encourage your people with this. And then Peter right here in our verse is saying, look, you need 
to live in such a way and to do the right thing for those people that you're working for because the name of God is at stake here. He says that there are going to be some good bosses and there are going to be some bad bosses. And, and Peter says, don't distinguish between the two. Just because you have a bad boss who is abusing his authority or her authority. Uh, interestingly, in verse 14, um, Peter reminds, he says that governors are sent by the king to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So if, if a boss, if somebody in authority is doing the right thing, he's going to praise and reward the good work, and then he's going to punish the bad work, the evil. But sometimes that doesn't happen. What happens when we have a, a bad boss? What happens when we're working for somebody who doesn't do the right thing himself or herself? What if that, what if that boss is praising the evil and not the good? What, what should we do then? Peter says very clearly, be subject to them no matter what. In either case, do the right thing. Do good work. And one of the things he says, he says that's going to happen there, is that God's people are going to suffer. They're going to be in a situation where they're trying to do the right thing, and even because of it, they're suffering now. So God's people do the right thing by suffering well. By suffering well. He says there in, in verse 19, For this is a gracious thing, when one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. When you're suffering unjustly, meaning you're doing the right thing, but you're suffering for it anyway. He says it's a gracious thing. Literally, the word is grace. For this is grace. This is grace. It's a great word. It's all throughout the Bible, all throughout the New Testament. But he says, this is grace, that in the sight of God, in being mindful of God, being um, uh, cognizant or conscience, conscious of God, you do the right thing, and you still suffer for it. That's grace. God will give you grace in that situation. There, he says, there's no honor. There's no honor for suffering because of sin. Look at verse 20. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Woe is me. I got reprimanded at work. I, you know, and then you ask, well, why is that? Well, because I was kind of, I kind of messed up this project, or I kind of didn't do that, or I kept coming in late to work. Oh, well, you deserved it then. So, so we're not going to applaud you for suffering because you were doing the wrong thing. And that's what he's saying. There's, there's no credit for being punished and being, and in this case. Um, servants were, were probably, he's probably thinking they were literally being beaten. But, but to suffer or to be punished or to face some kind of consequences for our own negligence or our own sin, he says there's no honor for it. But there is grace if you're doing the right thing and you still suffer for it for the sake of Christ. And why is that? He says this a couple times. He says in verse 19, being mindful of God. And then at the end of verse 20, he said this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. When we are conscious that 
It's God that we're serving. It's God that we're working for. It's God that we're trying to honor. It's God who watches us, even when our boss isn't watching, right? When we're at our cubicle, or we're on the, on the job site, or we're in our home, or wherever we're at, and other people aren't watching us, God is watching us. And He is seeing it. And He is the one that we're working for. Once again, another New Testament passage, um, Paul writing to the Colossians. He told them in Colossians 3, 23-25, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Wow. If we are working for the Lord, what would that look like? What would that look like as employees? What would that look like as employers, if we're serving the Lord? What would it look like as mothers, serving the Lord in what we do? As fathers, serving the Lord, not a kingdom to ourselves, but serving the Lord and honoring the Lord. God is watching us, and if we're doing the right thing, and we're, we're suffering for it, He sees it, and He rewards. He rewards. Look, look at what um, Peter turns to next. Because I think really what he's trying to say in this next section is that God's people do the right thing by following the example of Christ. They follow the example of the Christ in doing the right thing. He says, um, verse 21, For to this you have been called. So, wait a minute. We are called to suffer for doing the right thing. We are called to do the right thing, even for bad bosses. That's what we're called to do is what he's saying. We are called to do this. And he says, because the reason, the reason you're called to this is because Christ suffered. He suffered for you. He left you an example so that you might, might follow in his steps. Jesus is our example. Look, at, look through this passage with me and see Jesus' example. Jesus was without sin. Right there in verse 22, he committed no sin. He was without deceit. He says, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Verse 23, Jesus was without retaliation. He said, he was reviled, but he did not revile in return. The word there is essentially saying he didn't retaliate. He didn't retaliate. He didn't answer back evil for evil when others did evil towards him. And the next phrase, he suffered, but Jesus was without threats. He didn't threaten. He didn't, when people were coming against him, he didn't say, well, I can come back against you. Well, I have a legal right to this or that. Well, I can threaten you back because I have power and authority too. And finally, look what he did. Instead of threatening, it says in verse 23, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He committed himself to God. He said, and I think we, we'll probably say this, but God, 
in, in Christ, left his throne, as, as Paul told the Philippians, he humbled himself, he became nothing, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, he left that alone, he left his authority, and he became a servant. And he said, there's nothing I can do about this as a servant. I have to entrust it to God. God judges, God is the just one, he will take care of that. Paul told the Romans, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God's got that taken care of. God's going to take care of the bad bosses. God's going to take care of the enemies. God's going to take care of the people who are accusing us. God's going to take care of that. Our, our job is to follow the example of Christ who, who continued entrusting himself. He, it was an ongoing pattern in his life that he didn't threaten. It was an ongoing pattern in his life that he didn't sin. Not a one-time thing, but a continual practice of committing himself to God and his ways. What, what do we do? How do we, how do we follow this example of Christ? There, here's a, here are a few ideas. And if you want to jot them down, you can. They're, really, they're short little phrases, but I think they're good. They're good ideas. How do we do the right thing? We do good work. First of all, we do good work. He said, it, he said it throughout here um, that you, when, you, uh, when you do good and suffer for it, you do good. So we do good work. We, we, we work hard and we do work that is good quality, right? It's always good quality so that people will look at us and go, that guy always does good work. And when, he's one, when they're curious about it, why are you always doing good work when you could do <laughs> something instead. Well, because I'm working for the Lord. And I, I want to give glory to God in my life. And so the work that I do, I want to glorify God, not just you. It's, if I could get away with this or that, that's one thing. But I'm not going to because I'm working for God and He's the one who sees me. So we also, so the, the second thing is related then, we don't take shortcuts. We don't take shortcuts in our work. It's easy to do because everybody's doing it. Everybody takes shortcuts. It's one thing to work smarter and more efficient. We all want to do that. But it's another thing to just take shortcuts so that the work is only done part way and then say, it's good. We obey the rules and policies. I mean, that's, that's right here. Be subject to your masters with all respect means that we're going to obey the rules and the policies that are in place. So we're doing the right thing. We're going to do honest work. We're going to do honest work. We're going to have integrity. Those are, those are similar. Those are related to each other. But when we, we go to work and we work for an employee, we're not looking for ways that we can get, um, we can get a little more on our time card than what we... We're not going to, you know, take... A, 
10, 15 minutes at the beginning of the day and then say, oh, well, we showed up at this time or that time. Um, you, I mean, I, you guys think about it. There, there are all kinds of ways in which we can kind of be a little dishonest and, and nobody will really know and it's no big deal. There, there are plenty of times when we're by ourselves and we have to have the integrity to do the right thing even when nobody's looking because we know God is looking, <coughs> God is watching. And then finally, following the example of Christ and this, this um, passage in Isaiah that we read, how many times over and over in that passage did it say that he, he received the punishment, he received the beatings, he was bruised and he was wounded, and he didn't strike back. We don't retaliate. As Christians, I don't think we retaliate. I really don't. Now that doesn't mean that there's not a time and place for us to be able to say, look, what you're do- how you're treating me is wrong, and to speak out against that. But to retaliate means to answer back in kind, so that when somebody hurts us, we hurt them in return. That's not how Jesus did it. And that's not how God's people are supposed to do it as we follow the example of Christ. See, the example of Christ is that He did the right thing while we were doing the wrong thing. That's really Jesus' example. And that's the, that's the example that He has for us to follow. He did the right thing when we were doing the wrong thing. Paul told the Romans elsewhere, God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still messed up, Jesus Christ died for us. That's what He did for us. That is His example. And not only that, He didn't just give us that example and say, okay, go ahead, try to follow me now. But what does He say here at the very end of this passage after He describes He he bore our sins that on the tree... By his wounds you have been healed. And then in verse 25, he says, For you were straying like sheep. We all like sheep have gone astray. But then he says, But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That that word there, or that phrase, have now returned, is actually a, uh, uh, the way it's constructed is a is a I don't know if you guys if this if I'm going to totally lose you with this but it's a it's one of those verbs that's a passive verb you know where the uh, the the subject is receiving the action the subject is receiving the action of the verb so we have now returned means we actually received that action God was the one in other words who turned us back to Jesus. God does the work, and He returns us to the shepherd and overseer of our soul. We have seen this throughout 1 Peter. God has caused us to be born again. God is the one working this out. God is the one doing this. And so Jesus didn't just do the right thing when we were doing the wrong thing as an example, but He said, no, I'm going to come in, I'm going to take your heart, and I'm going to cause you to be born again. Now I'm going to do such, such a work in your heart and in your life that you will return to me. That you will live to righteousness. Verse 24, 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. God is the one working in such a way as to return us to Him. It's the divine passive. God is the one doing this in our hearts and in our lives. God's people do the right thing because we are God's people. Because that's where our identity is. Because He's created us. Because He's done the work. He made us and He saved us. And now He's our Master. He's our Master. He's done it all for us. So what does that mean for us? How might we follow the example of Christ? Where do we need to do good, quality, excellent work? How have we taken shortcuts and we need to repent and turn back to belief in Jesus that we can do the right thing and not take shortcuts and God will reward us even when our bosses aren't rewarding us? How, how do we need to um, obey some rules and policies that we've been ignoring? Maybe they're God's rules. Maybe they're God's rules and His ways for us, just in our own personal lives. And there are some things that we've let go. We've been ignoring something that God has been speaking to us about. He's saying, this is the way I want you to live, but you haven't been, you haven't been following it. Where, where do we need to do um, to live with honesty and integrity? To work with honesty and integrity? And have we, been, have we fallen into the, the same trap and the old way of thinking that Peter's been, been talking to his readers about? Doing it the old way, doing it the world's way of retaliation, of, of answering back in kind? Have we? And, and do we need to repent of that? And do we need to receive the grace, the grace that He gives for those who do the right thing even when we're suffering unjustly for it? For you mothers, I would say, I would say, you do have the hardest job in the world. You do have the most difficult job in the world. Really. And you're working unto God. I think that's a, I think that's a, a, a thing that you have to remember. That as much as you want to please your children, and as much as you want to please your husband, and you, as much as you want the household to run smoothly, and there to be peace, and there to be all of those things, that you're serving God, you're serving a gracious God, who loves you, and doesn't look at you and say, well, you've been messing up, you've been messing up as a mom, you made mistakes in the past, God's just looking at you and saying, I love you, Jesus died for you, you're good enough. So that you can say, with, in the words of the song that we sang, Christ is enough. He's my all in all. Right? How does God want you to respond today? Let's take a moment to, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a little on the guitar, and we're going to pray. We'll just have some silent prayer. And I want to invite you to respond in whatever way God is speaking to you. So to respond in, in prayer, and then to remember that the invitation and the response, time of response doesn't end when, the, when you sing the last note of the song, but if you need to respond 
and you need to speak with me and, and pray with me or um, speak with, with, your, with the body um, to do so. Right? 